Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How are we doing? We good? I can feel the energy in the room. Happy Father's Day to all of you. And let me just say, my favorite moment of the service so far was when the two youngest new first-time dads were standing and they said, how old is the child? And, and the dad over here kind of looked. He was like, 10 months. And the dad right here said, two weeks, two weeks. <laughs> Listen, you haven't been sleeping at all. We know that. It, you're delirious. We're okay. We're just praying for you right now. I get it. That's fine. There's no shame or guilt or condemnation for anybody in the room. Hey, happy Father's Day to you. One of my favorite things about Father's Day is the fact that there's so many funny stories that come out of Father's Day because of the stereotypes about what fatherhood really is and how fathers express themselves. And, you know, so I I was reading through some stories and some funny things this week, and I actually read a story that I have experienced in my life. I promise you, Scouts Honor, I don't know if that's Scouts or not, but Scouts Honor to you, like, I promise you, this happened. I witnessed it with my own eyes, but I also read a very similar story online this week. I was in the grocery store near my house. This was just about two years ago. And as I'm in the grocery store, there is a father there pushing the little buggy, little cart there with maybe an eight or nine-year-old son with him. And as he's going down the aisle, all of a sudden he just kind of haphazardly grabs something and throws it in the buggy. And then he, you know, just scratches something off the list. I don't even think he looked at what he threw into the cart. And he said to his son in kind of a whisper, like it was an inside joke, he said, listen, If we mess this up, we never have to do this again. (laughs) Ultimately, that's kind of the epitome of fatherhood right there, isn't it? We're just trying to figure out how to do it bad enough. We never have to do that again, but not so bad that we get in trouble for it, really, is what we're trying to do. I also read a story that was talking about how fathers sometimes struggle to express themselves. They struggle to really, you know, tell the people in their lives how much they love them and why they love them. And they were talking, this, this guy that was writing talked about being at uh, the rehearsal dinner for his wedding, and he was watching the slideshow that had been prepared. And so there's a picture that pops up of his dad, and his dad was there like in his favorite golf shirt, and he's holding this young man who's like three weeks old at that time in the picture. So he's holding his three-week-old son who's now sitting beside him. Dad's their favorite golf shirt. And and the dad, he's beaming with pride. And so the young man like looks at his father and he sees the pride and the joy on his face. And he's so excited. And his dad said, there is my prized possession. And the young man is so excited. His dad said, I wonder whatever happened to that golf shirt. I mean, just <laughs> sometimes we struggle to express our affection and emotion towards the human beings in our lives. But fatherhood is a difficult thing, especially in our present culture where so many homes now exist without the role of a father. I read a story this week uh, of an eight-year-old boy who was at home waiting by the front door when his dad came home from work. And when his dad walked in, immediately his son said to him, he said, Dad, how much money do you make? And the dad said, well, we don't talk about that in our house. He's like, no, Dad, please tell me. Like, how much money do you make per hour? And the dad said, ah. I, we don't talk about that in our house. I'm not, I'm not, the, the kid said, please, dad, I'm just curious. Please tell me. He said, well, I make about $20 an hour. And the kid said, oh, that's awesome. Can I borrow 10 bucks? And the dad said, what are you doing asking me how much money I make? So that, then you ask me for money. Are you just trying to get something you want? And how dare you? Do? He said, go to your room. So the kid goes slinking off to his room and kind of gets to his room, lays down in his bed. And the dad realizes, I probably overreacted. I mean, he's eight years old. He's curious about everything in life. And so he walks to the bedroom and little boy's laying there on the bed. And dad says, listen, I, I probably overreacted. I'm sorry that we don't talk about money a lot in our house. 
So I apologize, but listen, here's $10. The little boy jumps up, he grabs the $10, he runs to the desk in his room, opens up the drawer, and pulls out a few crumpled dollar bills. And the dad said, why did you ask me for money if you already had money? He said, because I didn't have enough. He said, but now I do. He said, here's $20. Can I have an hour of your time? I'm not crying, you're crying. These lights are bright. There's something in my eye. Listen, here's, here's the deal. Some of us, we have a great earthly father who we connect with on a regular basis. Maybe you're going to have lunch with him today. Maybe you're sitting on the same row with him now. Some of you, perhaps, there's distance that's separated you, and so you may just be relegated to a phone call or a text today. Some of you, there's brokenness in the relationship. You haven't talked in a while. Perhaps you won't talk for a good long while. Others of you, you've experienced the heartache of loss and the pain that comes from losing maybe your father to death already in your life. And to you, I would say, I'm sorry, but I recognize in this room, there are so many different contexts about what fatherhood means, what it looks like, what it could look like. And so I just want to say to all of you, when we talk about fatherhood, I referenced it earlier in the service, we want to point you to a heavenly father who loves you and wants the best for you and who all of us that are fathers in the room are doing the best that we can. Hopefully we can say that. We're doing the best that we can to exhibit all of the best characteristics of who God is and who God can be to all of us. But sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we don't get it right. But today as we talk about fatherhood, we're going to continue in our Romans series. We started this just three weeks ago now. And this series is really us walking through the book of Romans, which is a, a book in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the city of Rome before he actually got there to visit them. And a part of what we've been doing in the series is we've been uh, following along with this Romans journal. So if you don't have one, we would love to put one in your hands free of charge. You can just lift your hand. There's some guys that are going to hand these out. You feel free. Just lift your hand. Don't be embarrassed. We've got a couple throughout the room. If you want one of these journals, we'd love to give them to you. If you don't want to raise your hand, uh, you're an introvert, you don't want to bring all the attention to you, you're a nine, you're a peace maker, you don't want to seem needy, uh, you can go by the information center today on your way out and grab one of them. They're free of charge to you. We would just love to give you because what these journals do is they allow us to kind of track with the text, track with the scripture throughout the series. Each day, Monday through Friday, there is a SOAP guide. SOAP for us stands for scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And so there's at the top of each of those pages, there is a text. There's a few verses of scripture. And then I'm just writing down one of the verses that I read for that day. I'm making an observation about that text. I'm writing down an application, a way that I can apply that to my life. And then just writing a one or two sentence prayer out of what I've read, the observations that I've made and the applications that I need to make in my life. And then on Saturdays each week, so yesterday... We just tracked through a theological term. So yesterday was on the righteousness of God. And I underlined almost the entire several paragraphs. So if you did, if you read that, like it was very, very rich. And then each Sunday there's places for you to put in some sermon notes. So if you want to follow along, feel free to do that. But what we talked about in the first week is that there is a judgment coming. The Apostle Paul tells us that pretty, pretty much right up front there in chapter 1. There is a judgment coming, but ultimately you and I are not the judge. And that God allows us to be made right and to be made holy through his sovereignty and grace towards us, through the work of Jesus Christ. And so all of us have the opportunity to kind of have God do some heart surgery on us. So we talked about that in week one. Week two, last week, Pastor Trevor, he talked out of Romans chapter three and Romans chapter four about the amazing great faith of Abraham. And he talked about how to trust God for some things that really you don't see with your eyes yet, but you can believe and hope and trust that God is going to keep his promises. And so today, as we celebrate Father, Father's Day and fatherhood, I want us to look to Romans chapter five, and Romans chapter 6. And when I look at these chapters, what stands out to me is that chapter 5 really helps us to understand that we can have peace. 
How many of you just want some peace in your life, right? I mean, the chaos of the world and so many things that are happening in and around us, like if we could just know that there's peace available to us, what an incredible gift from God. But Romans chapter 5 tells us that peace is available to us, not because of our own works or the things that we do, but because of God and the work of Jesus Christ. And some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible are found right there in Romans chapter 5. So if you're kind of figuring out if you're going to play along with the journal, I'm about to give you a verse or two that you could use tomorrow in your soap, so pay attention. Romans chapter 5, look at this beginning in verse 6. It says, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 is perhaps a top five verse of scripture for me. I quote it pretty regularly because to me it's so powerful to tell us that while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated, God demonstrated his love because he sent Jesus Christ to come and to die for us like before you could do anything. And so I started thinking about like the context of fatherhood that I have. I have a great earthly father. He's already texted me this morning. And, and so I have a great earthly father, but I also am a father of four great kids, Cooper, Branson, Tucker, and little Miss Kinley. And so of those four kids, like I think about how they have helped to shape what I know about God and what I'm learning about life. And I was thinking about when Corey delivered Cooper, who is our oldest, she delivered Cooper, and I was there. And so when I was there, I remember holding him. Shortly after he entered the world, I held him. And you know, like, here's what happens in the hospital. If you've never experienced this, I'm about to let you in on a terrible medical secret. They give the women this really comfortable bed, and they relegate men to the windowsill is really what they do. Like, you sleep up against the glass. It's awful. And so when Corey would get up to, like, go take a shower or to walk the halls or whatever, I would steal her bed for, like, 20 or 30 minutes at a time and lock the door so she could. No, I didn't lock the door. I would let her come back in. But I just, I would steal her bed. But I remember in those first few moments of life for Cooper, and then it was mirrored again with Branson and with Tucker and with Kelly, I would hold them in my arms, and I would look down on them and think, they can't do anything. Like, they're, they, they can't talk to me. Even if they do love me, they can't tell me that they love me. They're not yet able to do anything. Like they can't perform, they can't make good grades, they can't hit a curveball, they can't run fast, like they can't do anything. And yet, I just love them. Like I just, I just love them so much as I held them, I was thinking about like, I didn't even know I could love like this. And each child, it was just this, unique experience of holding someone who couldn't even really love me back and loving them first. That's what Romans chapter 5 verse 8 means to me, is that God moved first. God loved first. God expressed first. Before I was good enough to go to church, before I could pray a sinner's prayer, before I could fill out every stinking page of my Roman journal, Romans journal, before I could do any of that, God loved me. He looked down at me as I've looked down at my kids, and he's like, you, you can't really do anything. And yet, I love you. And I love you with a love that is unexplainable. But I also recognize as a father, I've gotten it wrong probably more than I've gotten it right. Anybody else in the room kind of nod your head? It's okay, that's pride. Don't let pride come before the fall for you. For me, I, I've gotten it wrong more than I've gotten it right. I, I lay my head on the pillow some nights, and I just pray that God would give me tomorrow so that I can do better than I did today for my kids. 
And I just recognized, like, man, God, would you please just give me one more chance to try to be a reflection of who you are to my kids? I ran across this incredible quote this week. This is from Frank Clark. He says this. He says, a father is a man who expects his son to be as good a man as he meant to be. A father is a man who expects his son to be as good a man as he meant to be. And let me just say to those of you in the room who are sons, I know not everybody in the room is a son, so I'm just connecting to you for just a second. Some of you, you struggled to connect to your dad because maybe your dad couldn't express to you what you hoped he could express. Maybe you wanted him to be more loving and more affectionate. You wanted him to express the things towards you that you just, you were longing for in your life. And perhaps this quote kind of embodies what your dad was trying to do. He wanted you to avoid the regrets that he had in his life. He wanted you to avoid the mistakes that he had made. And so he was trying. Maybe he, had, he came down a little hard. Maybe he, he was a little rough sometimes. And he was just trying his best to mold you into the man that he hoped he could have been. I'm not excusing it. There's perhaps things he did that he shouldn't have done. There's things he said he shouldn't have said. But perhaps if we empathize, if we put ourselves in his shoes for a moment, perhaps this was his motivation. But today's not really about fathers and sons. There, there's also a difference in raising daughters. We, we have a daughter. We had three sons first. And when Corey was pregnant for the fourth time, I had convinced myself, because I'm an expert, that it was another boy. Like she was carrying the same way or whatever that means. Like I just heard somebody say it and I latched onto that and I was like, yeah, it's a boy. She's carrying the same way. I mean, I think you just always carry it out front. I don't know. I just... <laughs> I don't think you're pregnant like over on the side or up on your shoulder. And you're like, yep, that one's definitely something weird. I, I don't know, but she was carrying the same way. And so I'd convince myself it's another boy. So the day that we went to find out if we were having a boy or a girl, it was, it was our second son Branson's birthday. And so he was sitting there and the nurse said to him, well, what do you want for your birthday? And Branson said, I want a sister. I was like, he's going to be disappointed. This is a boy. <laughs> she's got the same appetite. She's got the same energy. She's carrying the same way. This is a boy. I've got the video going, and the nurse said, well, you're getting your wish. It's a girl, and you can hear me in the video go, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was thrilled beyond measure. I was just shocked. I was like, we know how to do the boy thing. We got the clothes. We got the toys. We got the bedding. We got the crib. We, got, like, we, we know how to do that. What do you do with a girl? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Listen. She turns eight on my birthday in a few weeks. She's the best birthday present I ever got, and then I lost my birthday. So in a few weeks, she'll have her birthday. She'll be eight. I still don't know. I'm still figuring it out. But I ran across this quote about fathers with daughters. This comes from a guy who had four daughters. We'll pray for him. His name is Jim. But this was a quote when he was giving his third daughter away in marriage. He says this. He said, this is the third of four daughters. Every time it happens that I give them away in marriage, I'm obsessed with this feeling. I'm giving a million-dollar Stradivarius to a gorilla. <laughs> I kind of get where he's coming from. I kind of get it. There's this one little boy in Kinley's second-grade class. He's a gorilla. I don't like him. I don't like him. I don't like him. But today's not really about fathers and sons, and it's not about fathers and daughters. Today is about helping us understand the Heavenly Father from Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 6. So if you got a Bible and you're tracking along, I want us to look here in the middle of Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. I'm reading from the NIV translation. This is what it says. But the gift is not like the trespass. 
For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And everybody said, huh? What? What did we, what did we read? There was a man and another man and a, what? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to read the same passage of Scripture from a different translation of Scripture. We just read from the NIV. Usually when I'm speaking here, I'm reading from the NIV or the English Standard Version, which is ESV. If you're looking kind of through your Bible app, you can kind of track there. I want to read from the New Living Translation, NLT. This is a little more conversational English, and I think it might help provide some clarity to what we're going to read. Same verses, beginning in verse 15, New Living Translation. This is what it says. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. And everybody probably still says, huh? So here's what I want to do to try to make this make a little more sense. I've got some volunteers. Where are my volunteers in this service? If you're a volunteer, if they picked you, run, 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 hurry, 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 hurry. I got my volunteers. Come on, hurry, 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 hurry. You got to run. I want to show you in a really simplistic way. I'm a simple person. I want to show you. You guys just line up across the stage here. I want to show you what I think Romans chapter 5, verses 15, 16, and 17 are talking about. And to do so, I've, I've enlisted some help here, some volunteers, to reenact a game that we played at recess when I was a kid in school. We played a game that was called freeze tag. Anybody ever played freeze tag? Right? So four of us. So the rest of us have no context for this game. That's fine. Just Google it. It'll be great. So freeze tag is a game that we played in recess. So maybe you don't understand the same way we played it when I was growing up. But here's the general rules of freeze tag. You have one person who is it. Okay? And Barry's definitely it. All right? So we're going to move him over here. So he's it. All right? Then we're going to have three people, and they're going to just be playing the game. They're going to be, you know, in, in recess, you would run around like crazy, but on the stage, if you run around, you're going to fall. So just walk around in general terms in just a second. Then you've got somebody else who's like the opposite of it. So some people would call them the doctor. Some people would call them the physician. Some people call them the nurse. You call Cooper whatever you want to call him, okay? So he's going to come along to the people. As it tags one of these people, they're walking around. As they get tagged, they're going to freeze. But then the doctor can walk around untagged tagging them. Okay, so you guys go ahead and, and just act this out. Just move around, move, move, move. It, you go ahead and tag some people. All right, doctor, you do some work there. All right, he's untagging. Now you can unfreeze. You guys move, move. Oh, we got it. Okay, now we're unfreezing. We're unfreezing. Just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Keep. Okay, stop. Now, on the playground, when I was growing up, we would do this at full speed. What we were trying to demonstrate is that you have some people kind of running in chaos. They're just running around, right? And the job of this one man is to cause them to freeze. They, they can't move. 
Like all he did was just, now they're done. They're just, they can't move. They're stuck. What we just read in Romans chapter 5, verse 15, 16, 17, is there is one man who his entire identity connected us to guilt. Adam caused us to freeze in our place through the guilt of Adam. We were stuck. We're stuck in sin. We're stuck in guilt. We're stuck in condemnation. Our trespasses, they cause us to be stuck. But there is another role. There is another person. Theologians would call this the second Adam. So Jesus being the second Adam, what you have is the first Adam in the garden. He was created. God formed him from the dust. He breathed breath into his lungs. And through Adam, all of humanity had life. We're all alive. But because of sin that entered the world in the Garden of Eden, because of the sin, human beings began to get stuck. They're they're just getting, getting frozen in sin and guilt and condemnation and shame. And so it, the devil, the enemy, he's just roaming around trying to continue to get you stuck. You're roaming around. You're living life. You're doing the things that you're supposed to do. You're trying to be in pursuit of God. But the enemy, he roams about as like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, Scripture tells us. And so he comes up, and he's like, stop. You're guilty. You should feel ashamed for what you've done. You should feel bad for the mistakes you've made. You're never going to amount to anything. Do you know what family you come from? Your dad was never any good. You're not any good. Do you know what your mom stood for? Man, she was a mess, and you're a mess too. You'll never accomplish anything, and you just get stuck. But because of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, God demonstrated his power by raising Jesus from the dead, the death that was required so that you and I could not just live with breath in our lungs, but live a life full of the freedom that God intended us to live. And so Jesus Christ has another role. Every time you find yourself stuck, he sets you free. Every time you find yourself frozen in guilt and frozen in fear to chase after and pursue what God would desire you to pursue, he comes alongside and he says, you were meant for more than this. You were created for more than this. You can go and chase all that God has for you. And he just walks around and he just sets you free. And he just causes you to chase after all that God has for you. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. And so here's the deal. One man brings guilt. But another man brings grace. To the fathers in the room today, can I ask you, what kind of dad are you? Do you lead with guilt? You should be ashamed of yourself. You're good for nothing. You're never going to amount to anything. I was a mess. My dad was a mess. You're a mess. Do you lead with guilt? Or do you lead with grace? Listen, God created you for more. You'll be better than I was. You're going to be better than this family ever has been. God's called you to greater things. He's destined you with a purpose. He has plans for your, do you lead with, now I'm not talking about we shouldn't discipline. The Bible tells us that God disciplines those that he loves. Part of the way that you love your children is bringing correction when necessary so that they find themselves back on the right track with their lives. But ultimately, fathers, are you the kind of dad that freezes your kid? It's, it's, I mean, you, they're almost paralyzed in fear, worried of making a mistake for what you're going to say. Or are you the kind of dad that leads with grace and sets them free to chase all that God has for them? Now, if you say, well, I'm not a dad. I don't, I don't even know why you're telling me all that. I'm not a dad. Here's the question. Are you stuck? Are you paralyzed by fear? 
Are you defined by your guilt and your shame and your condemnation? We're going to read later in this book that there's no guilt or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What we read in Romans chapter 5, look at this. Romans chapter 5, this is the second part of verse 20. It says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And let me just say for a moment, even if you're not a dad in the room, but perhaps if you are, if you're a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter, you're a grandma or a grandpa, you're an aunt or an uncle, you're just one of the really cool friends that a family has because you don't have kids yet or your kids are older and you just get to love on the next generation. Let me just say to you that one of the things we believe in here at Canton Church is equipping the next generation. And there is an incredible team of volunteers across this building who is pouring into a group of children from birth through fifth grade. There's, a, there's another team of volunteers that pours into our, our young people, our students, middle school and high school students. Just loving on them on Wednesday nights throughout the school year, so, during the summers at youth camps and events and things. They're just loving on the next generation. And here's why. Because I know perhaps some of you in your family, in your home, you're trying to set your kids free. You're trying to show them grace. You're trying to let them chase God with all that they have. But there are so many young people in our community that nobody believes in them. Nobody loves them. Nobody's expressed love to them in a long time. Nobody's expressed affection to them in a long time. Nobody said, I believe in you. You were created for more than this. And so every single Sunday morning, we open up these environments across the way. And sometimes we have to open up a fifth and a sixth environment because we got more kids than the rooms could hold. Every Wednesday night, Sunday night, once a month, Summers at camps and retreats. We're loving on middle school and high school students and pointing them to Jesus Christ to say, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what the enemy would try to freeze you in and, and paralyze you in fear and guilt and shame. God has created you to chase more and he extends his grace to you because you are not too far gone wherever sin increases, grace increases all the more. So maybe the best thing you could do on this Father's Day is choose to jump onto one of these serving teams to, to equip and invest in the next generation and to be the one voice all week long that a little eight-year-old boy or a little 10-year-old girl or a seventh-grade student looks up and they see you as you say to them, listen, Jesus loves you and I love you too. I believe God has great things in store for you. And I don't know your story and I don't know your history and I don't know your family but I believe that God has created you on purpose for a purpose. And today, if you walk to the information center, they'd love to help you take a next step and jump onto one of these teams to be a difference maker in the life of the next generation. That's why we do what we do for the next generation. Because some people, some people, in the next generation, our kids, our students, they just don't have anybody and what if God is calling you to be there somebody? You say, well, okay, great. So I'm supposed to be the kind of dad that isn't about guilt, but is about grace. Or I'm supposed to be the kind of person that isn't frozen in guilt, but receives the grace of God. What do I do with that? I would say you do what we did on the playground. When God sets you free, you take off running again. You chase after God with all your heart. You don't allow the lies of the enemy to trap you in your past mistakes. You don't wear your shame. You don't wear your guilt. You just run with the wind at your back 
pursuing all that God has destined for you. That's what God wants you to do. And so when you walk out of this place today, if you're a dad, you lead the charge. If you're a mom, you lead the charge. If you're a son or your daughter, you're a daughter, you lead the charge. Whatever your lot in life, you say, God, I'm not going to stay in my guilt. I am no longer confined to the sins of Adam or the many sins I've created and, and done for myself, the trespasses and the trans. I'm no longer bound by those things. I give them to you. I accept your grace and your love and your forgiveness, and I run as fast as I can run in the direction that you've called me to, to accomplish more than I ever thought I could because you created me on purpose for a purpose. Look at this incredible truth that comes from Romans chapter 6 as we finish today. Found in verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I told you two weeks ago when we started this series, there is a judgment coming. There is. I wish I could skip over that part. I wish I didn't have to tell you that part, but there is. Yesterday in our journals, we talked about the righteousness of God and how the judgment of God was required because of his righteousness. But here's what you need to know. You don't have to stand before God guilty. Because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the grace that is available to you allows you to stand there free and forgiven and accepted, not through your own works, but through the work that has been completed by Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Close your eyes just for a moment as we conclude our time together today. If you would say to me, Jeremy, I recognize that as you've been talking, I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need him to forgive my sins and to be my Lord. I need him to change my eternity forever. I want to be able to stand before him and be found right, not because of my good works, but because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And today, I want to change my eternity. I want to ask him to forgive my sins. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I want to be a grace giver. Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but I want God to help me. I don't want to just be that, that person that's harping on somebody's guilt and harping on their shame that they should. I want to be a grace giver. I want to embody the grace and the love of Jesus Christ to the people around me. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Thank you so much. So many hands. Now, lastly... This wasn't in my notes until right before the first service. I felt the Lord leading me. I believe there'll be people across all these services, so you're not going to be alone in just a second if this is you. If you would say, Jeremy, I feel stuck in my guilt. Maybe it's bigger than salvation. Maybe it's bigger than forgiveness. But I'm telling you, like, I just feel stuck in my shame. I can't seem to live free. I can't seem to chase my future because I'm still living in my past. And I want today for that to change. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Thank you so much. So many of us, so many of us. God, I thank you today for every person in this place. I thank you, God, now that you save us, that you give us the free gift of salvation through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, God, now I celebrate with heaven for those who have responded today to ask you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, I pray now for those of us that lifted our hands to say we want to be grace givers. We don't want to be those who are guilt mongers and we're trying to keep people in their shame or their guilt. We want to embody the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and we want to be grace givers. God, help us to do that. And God, now I pray for every person that just lifted their hands to say, I am stuck in my guilt. 
I can't chase my future because I'm holding on to my past. God, would you let us give it to you, let it go, set us free, and God, let us run after you with all of our hearts. Let us experience joy like never before. God, I pray that they would experience a peace that passes all understanding because of the work of Jesus Christ. And God, let everything about their lives change today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.